Good afternoon, or depending on where you are, good morning, as it is for me here in Los Angeles, or good evening. Patrick is traveling today, so he left it up to me to moderate today's session. And so I'll be doing both the moderating, the pushing of the buttons, the talking. But as Patrick does every week, I'm going to do a, a few housekeeping issues. A little later on, we're going to be joined by Mark Collins from Harmon, Dean Bullock of Cinecert. And they're going to be telling us about how to keep your equipment up and how to really maintain a lot of older equipment. After that, we're going to be joined by Jerry Murdoch of Cinema Next and Matt Majewski of Bright Star, Bright Star Systems. And they're going to tell us on the ground what it's like for integrators right now as cinemas reopen. So a lot of technology talk today, but some of the brightest minds when it comes to cinema technology will be joining us later. I should mention the community section because we do pull questions from there as especially in between each week. We're checking it every day and trying to answer questions from there. One question that has come up is how are video game arcades being cleaned? How are the machines being cleaned? How are bowling balls at, at bowling alleys for family entertainment centers? How is the sanitation and hygiene being kept up in those facilities? We are working on trying to do a post on that. So do please stay tuned. That came not only through these sessions, but also through the community site, which can be found at community cjcinemasummit.com. Now, you can also reach out to us via email, tits at celluloidjunkie.com. And again, all of us here at Celluloid Junkie are checking it out. Film Grail as well. Of course, they're helping us put these together. Likewise, The Big Picture, Rob Arthur and The Big Picture are also instrumental in putting these sessions together. Now, we usually start each summit with a global overview in which Patrick speaks with me. Today, we had a couple of stories from the EU, one from the US, I believe, and one that's kind of global. We had an update on German cinemas reopening. There's some fragmentation occurring, and the fragmentation is between the different states of Germany and how each state is handling things differently and when they're going to open. This piece is by Birgit Heitzig. And she said, you know, once one state said they were opening cinemas, every state followed shortly thereafter, almost as if it was a competition as to who could open their cinemas fast enough. And the piece also reminded me that I should probably search out Christian Petzold's Udin or Undin. So definitely check that out. It's a good overview of what's happening in Germany. The biggest takeaway for me is the fragmentation between the states and all the different rules between the states. And also, distributors will kind of use this as a reason to change the booking terms. So the next story here, the UK cinema is benefiting from a 5% VAT instead of a 20% VAT. So the VAT will be cut on all hospitality, including cinemas. So that's coming out of the UK. Another story is one having to do with Walmart deciding they not only want to sell you products, and this is from Car and Driver, but it was pretty much everywhere. They will be doing drive-in movies later this summer in their parking lots. Now, of course, Evo and I believe even Marcus Theaters is doing some drive-in cinemas. But here you have Walmart doing some drive-in cinemas as well. However, they didn't actually figure out how they're going to do it. They just made the announcement. They're teaming up with Tribeca Enterprises, the group behind the Tribeca Film Center and Tribeca Film Festival to do the programming. And our last story in the global overview, this is kind of interesting. Now, for those of you who don't know about, about the festival circuit, it's very competitive in the fall. You have Venice, Telluride, 
the New York Film Festival, the Toronto International Film Festival, all within about four weeks of one another. And they all buy for films that are really the premier films. So especially those that are going on to the awards circuit. This year, because of the pandemic, they have decided that they are all going to work together to create a platform to launch such films, to launch these kind of awards-worthy films. So rather than compete with one another, they're going to try and collaborate with one another, which is a first. So that should be interesting. They didn't really say what that means, kind of like the Sundance Film Festival when they announced that they would possibly be changing dates, possibly be working with 20 different cities to do their festival next year. They're going to have a hybrid in-person festival in Park City and do it in 20 different cities throughout the world, including Mexico City. They didn't say what that meant. But I mean, I could talk about festivals all day long, as many of you know. But instead, we should probably introduce Mark Collins from Harmon International and Dean Bullock from CineCert, who are here to talk to us about really older technology in cinemas. And before we get started, Mark and Dean, and I'll start with you, Mark, do you want to tell us a little bit about Harmon? Sure. So Harmon International, that most people don't necessarily know that name in the cinema business, but they do know JBL. JBL is part of Harmon, and Harmon has been a part of Samsung for the last couple of years. But we are a standalone company, and there is a standalone cinema division, which I take care of. So we do speakers and amplifiers for cinemas, and it's been something I've been doing all my life. And so this has been a great opportunity for me to do it as a a full-time job. Now, Dean, you're with CineCert. You used to be with Dolby. Now you're with CineCert. You want to tell us a little bit? You want to talk about insider company. This is truly an insider company. Oh, thanks, Berling. Yeah. um, So my name is Dean Bullock, and I'm the COO at CineCert. And CineCert's a small, privately held software company out of Burbank. And we are probably mostly known to this crowd for digital cinema, software, mastering, and packaging and validation software. But we're also highly involved in the DCI spec and writing the CTP. We're the original authors of the CTP, which is the DCI test program for digital cinema equipment. We also write the software stack that almost all of the major studios and distribution vendors use for packaging and validating digital cinema content before it's distributed. You know, I guess we are insiders in that sense, mostly because we are highly active within SMPD and uh, consulting with people who are delivering movies and things like that. I've been with Sinister about two and a half years now. And then uh, before that, I was with Dolby for a little over 20 as a bunch of things, engineer, engineering manager, director of technology, standards and things like that. So now last year at a little event called CinemaCon, and yes, I know people hate it when I am that sarcastic, but at a time when we all used to get together in person rather than virtually, there was a panel that was put together by Digicine. And it was a panel that talked a little bit about what Digicine does, just a little. They help exhibitors with some of their older equipment and by providing newer equipment. This is a little bit of a mini version of that panel that Digicine put together at CinemaCon. You were both on it. The topic was how do you maintain and how do you manage older equipment in your theater circuit? But I guess my first question would be, Mark, how pervasive is older equipment in cinemas today? And how old is that equipment? Well, if you look back at some of the equipment that's out there, some of the pioneers was Carmike at the time. 
So they're looking at between 14, 15, 16 years old on some of their equipment. So there is still a lot of older equipment. And there's actually some of that older equipment has been repurposed as part of some of these pop-up drive-ins for cinemas. So the opportunity to take older equipment that is not necessarily something that they want put back into service in a regular movie theater has found a new, it may be short-term home to literally live in a tin can in a parking lot and be able to show movies on the side of a building. So those types of equipment are going to be repurposed for some of these drive-ins. The other thing that's happening is people now, especially, are not necessarily looking at, oh, what are we going to do for new equipment? They are asking that question. What can we do to keep our existing equipment up to snuff? What can we do to make sure that we're getting a great picture out of it? And what's the cost of the differential between keeping a higher maintenance device running and looking at new? I don't think I'll ever get the, the visual of a projector in a tin can now out of my, my head. <laughs> That's literally, they take a sea can, a container that you would see on a sea ship or a container that you'd see on a railroad car, put that in the parking lot, and then uh, the projector and the FM transmitter and everything is out there, and they'll have their own power generation to be able to put on a presentation for the drive-in. Well, now, let me ask you this, Dean. What is the, the life expectancy of older equipment these days? I mean, originally the VPF was 10 years long because that was the expectancy of, look, we'll get you through your first round of equipment. Uh, that's what the studios thought. But you know, afterwards, it's going to be up to you. And we expect this equipment to last 10 years. The warranties were 10 years. What is the life expectancy of equipment today? Well, so I don't manufacture equipment anymore today. So I can't tell you any inside information about what's going on with current designs. But I do know there was a lot of original thinking in the manufacturing space that servers, for example, would have the same life cycle as a, a server that you might purchase to go in a data center, which were five-year life cycles. And I don't think that was ever a viable lifetime for equipment. So the warranty of 10 years, I think, was hashed out between people who were purchasing equipment and people who were selling equipment. And of course, the VPF rules around all that. But I'm almost certain that People are going to run the servers for 20 years. And I think the servers are actually more fragile than the original projectors were. I know that uh, at least at Dolby, the original DSS-100 and DSP equipment is still operational in a lot of theaters. And I know that people are going to be able to do kind of PC-style piecemeal upgrades of their server equipment. They can do motherboards and power supplies and hard drives. And I think there's going to be this ability to just keep things moving. So on the playback equipment, the things that we have to worry about in terms of lifetime are media blocks and other devices that have cryptographic information that has either battery backup or, you know, and some of the batteries might have a full, you know, a 10-year lifespan or something like that, where you might have to go back to the manufacturer to replace something along those lines. So I think 10 years is entirely reasonable, but I think we're going to see people using stuff for 15 or 20 before they, you know, just literally until it no longer functions. Now, you said that the servers were more fragile than the projectors. Is that because there's more moving parts in a server? You've got, I guess, hard drives for one. You have that power supply for two and the battery. But the media block, at least initially, was in that server. That has no moving parts, uh, if I'm not mistaken. What is it that's fragile in that server? Certainly, from my understanding, the actual content 
could still play out of technology that's that old because it's simply data. Is that correct? Well, let's cover those in two different questions, the content play out on one side and then building of equipment. But I think from a server standpoint, the distinction between a server and a media block, for example, is media blocks are custom designed equipment. So they tend to be custom designed in-house. The engineering teams will do the schematics and the board layout, and they can pick their components. So you can pick components for, uh, for lifetime, and they don't necessarily have to be moving pieces to fail. For example, one of the most common things to fail on any circuit board are inexpensive capacitors, which are all over the place on circuit boards. And in a price competitive world, for example, PC components, where the prices are driven down by the PC market, inexpensive components are selected because a PC can go end of life long before the components are end of life, just simply because the software becomes too bloated or requires faster CPUs or more memory to operate. So like a PC you might buy for your desktop, a Mac or a PC or something like that probably has about a five-year life cycle just in terms of how long it's useful to the person who bought it. So if you're designing a motherboard or a component that goes in that piece of hardware, there's a price trade-off with designing for 10 years in that market because most people aren't going to keep it for 10 years. They're going to replace it and do something with it. So servers, you know, the data portion of a media playback system is a not off the shelf, it's a OEM motherboard with, you know, it's essentially a computer. And you as an engineer, you can purchase parts or specify parts that are enterprise equipment or, you know, enterprise grade parts and things like that. But you're still up against an industry that is designing for a five-year life cycle, which is what you might see if you're selling these components into a high volume thing like a data center or anybody else who has to buy thousands of these servers. So unless you're designing the equipment yourself, you can't specify that life cycle beyond what the market will specify. And frankly, it's too expensive to design a PC that's going to act as a server in a, in a media system because uh, custom parts might you know, be five to $10,000 in parts if you did it yourself, not to mention engineering time to actually build it. Well, let me ask you this, because you, you talked a lot about purchasing, Dean. So I'm going to ask Mark, what incentive is there right now for cinema operators to even buy new equipment with cinemas closed? Is it just failing equipment and once cinemas start to reopen, they'll have to replace their equipment? There's different issues. The biggest one is that these cinemas have been sitting idle for several months. We as an industry basically run 24-7 as far as the equipment is concerned. Servers stay on because content has to move around. Projectors will stay on or in standby. Sound systems, they may leave processors on and amplifiers on, things like that. So moving forward, the very first thing you just have to do is get in there and start replicating a daily schedule to make sure that all the speakers are working, that make sure all the amplifiers are working and things like that. So to your question about what's the incentive for looking for new equipment, I still think that we are going to go through a transition. The movies aren't going to be exactly the same. We're not going to be going back to the way things were anytime necessarily soon. What that may mean is there may be an opportunity to have a premium experience. These are our PLF screens, things like that, and to upgrade some of those systems to bring a better experience. Because for the last five months, people have figured out what Netflix is. You know, they've spent their time there. And we just have to get them into something that just wows them again. 
And that may be the incentive for some theater owners to say, you know what, it's time to upgrade our old PLFs. It's time to really give an experience that isn't out of the home. And I think those are some of the questions asked when it comes to just looking at your existing equipment and what to do. My expectations are that our parts sales for drivers and for amplifiers and things like that will increase as soon as these theaters start opening in mass. Well, if we are going to be buying equipment and new equipment, I guess the question is, we're out of the VPF phase now. So how does it get paid for? Who pays for it? How does it get paid for? Or will there be another VPF? That's always been a question that I've been asked constantly. Yeah, by. I don't ever see a new VPF. I just don't think unless somebody knows something I don't, but it's going to be on the back of the exhibitor and the exhibitor is going to have to decide. This is why I think that we may not have the same number of screens in this country coming out of this that we had going into this is because the business model is going to look a little different. And so how that's all going to fit and decisions will be made. Am I upgrading the sound system or a server or a projector or am I putting money into it on maintenance to keep the existing equipment running. And I think a lot of people are going to look and see what the cost is to keep an existing piece of equipment running. Well, Dean, as somebody who used to work with an equipment manufacturer and now somebody who works with many equipment manufacturers and getting certified, how do you keep equipment? How does the cinema equipment stay current? I mean, I hate to say this, but it depends what you mean by current. I think in my mind, from a content perspective, which is what I do now, what needs to happen is your equipment has to be able to play the content that you want to play. And being DCI or CTP compliant, having passed the test is important for almost every exhibitor that, that I know of, but all new equipment ends up going through the test and things like that. And older equipment that have waivers, you know, the waivers are still enforced. So I don't think there's an issue with that. So for me, I think the answer is it really depends upon what kind of content you want to play. If you want to be uh, you know, able to play the new sound formats, you know, or I guess that's not so new anymore, the Atmos format or the new Symphony standardized version of that format, you need the equipment to do that, which means you have to purchase new equipment. And oftentimes that new equipment might require other new equipment for it to work correctly. You might not be able to retrofit into a, you know, an existing set of gear. But for me, it comes down to content. And I think, you know, if you're trying to keep old equipment operational, the key there is to just pay attention to the various pieces of test content that are available around the world from ISDCF and EDCF. And I actually think I saw a comment fly by about some other test content that might be available. And I guess on the content front, the other thing everybody should be aware of is that there is a document coming through SIMPTI that's been uh, moving through the 21DC Technology Committee. That's a registered disclosure document that RDD 52, I believe, that attempts to codify the ISDCF test content. And I think that the whole group here has an opportunity to take a look at that document when it comes out, because that document is trying to define a set of constraints on content that lets it work in a 80 to 90 percent of the exhibition sites around the world. And I think it's going to be important for exhibition sites to take a look at that and get a hold of the content that is described by that document and play it. And then once a document like that is in place, the most important aspect is that it gives everybody an opportunity to comment on it. 
It gives the industry a place to say, hey, you know, this constraints document is supposed to make the content work on my equipment, but I have this equipment and it doesn't work. And once a document is published by Simti like that, it allows comment to come back and change it. So I think that for anybody who's trying to keep old equipment running and in place, is this is a very important thing to pay attention to, this type of description of the content that is going to be delivered and having some influence on what goes in that content. Let me ask you this, based on what Dean was saying there for a moment, he's talking about, you know, in part, what the value of the equipment is. And I don't mean the monetary value, but how much does an exhibitor get out of new booth equipment, new projection equipment versus, say, 4DX seats or MX4D seats or other equipment in the theater or a bar, let's say? Well, obviously, the differential between old equipment and new, and just to comment a little bit on the content, I believe the Simply DCP is going to be around for a very, very long time. It's somewhat backwards compatible so that the older equipment, once those updates have been done, and almost everybody should have had these done now, it'll run that old 5.1 content without a problem. Now, what the value is to an exhibitor is the maintenance. It really is. It's like owning an old car. You own an old car you're going to spend more on the maintenance of that car and you're going to make a financial and business decision if that car is used for business to keep the car or buy something new. And I think that's really where a lot of exhibitors are going to be at is if the old equipment is running, if maintenance is done and it doesn't turn into a financial pain to keep them running, to look at a old series one projector you may have to look at the manufacturer and say, okay, has the manufacturer said that this is going to be end of life? At that point, it's even more difficult to keep a piece of equipment running. So these are just decisions that have to be made. I mean, the downside that we all did is we all bought our digital projectors basically at the same time. And so they're all basically starting to get long in the tooth at the same time. And so people just need to recognize that and determine for themselves if it's a pain point. I mean, if that projector or server is failing every month or every few weeks or something like that, that's a business decision that's going to have to be made to either keep that running, swap out a server, but use an existing projector. Those are the things to look at. For a sound system, it's keeping the cabinets because it's such a pain to remove the screen and everything else and just replace the drivers. So there's a lot of things that we need to look at, and each exhibitor will make that decision either because it is having down shows or it's becoming a financial burden to keep an older piece of equipment running. You started to answer my next question, which was exactly that. You know, the first round, everybody was buying new. There was no other choice. Now we've been told with certain cinemas possibly closing, there's a lot of used equipment on the market. What are cinema operators doing now? Are they making small strategic purchases? Are they buying in bulk? Are they switching their entire footprint of servers and projectors to laser? How are cinema operators purchasing and what equipment are they going for? Is there a strategy to it? I think there really was before this all started. There was a real strategy to look at lasers because of the cost savings on bulbs. I think that there was a lot of looking at what new modern equipment is going to work, things like the new sound format with immersive audio, things like that. There would be new pieces of equipment for that. 
what's happening now is kind of the opposite. Obviously, for the month of April, I think everyone would agree for the month of April was the crash. I mean, that was truly there. Nobody was buying anything. And now it's slowly, slowly coming back in the U.S. It's coming back faster in other countries. And it's more of those strategic plays. You know, where do I have a project that is really going to pay off uh, heavily, even in this very reduced market that we're all stuck in as far as number of people who can be in an auditorium? But I think the stuff that's going to be sold a lot in the next six months to a year is going to be repair parts. Like I said, somebody who has an older server, can I get a new server that's going to work with this projector? You know, the projector is working fine. Or just the opposite. Can I get a new projector but keep the old server? Those different types of conversations are going to be made. Now, those conversations are going to be made more on the smaller exhibitor than the larger one, because the large one makes that decision usually on a grander scale. And I think that everybody at the moment is hunkered down and wants to keep their existing equipment running. Hence, I just don't see a lot of projectors being sold. I don't see a lot of sound systems being sold probably in the next few months for sure. Dean, what does that mean for the pace of change when it comes to technology inside the cinema? I mean, you were talking about documents, by the way, earlier about documents that some of our attendees should check Mm -hmm. out. Mark Kendall has suggested that everyone check out the document produced by the CTC, which is, he says, is still very relevant. But with people trying to stretch the equipment out for a little bit longer, what does that mean for the pace of change in technology inside the cinemas? For instance, LEDs. You know, LED uh, is all about pricing, I think, more than anything else. I've seen LED screens in, you know, in action and stuff like that. And I think they're good screens. I don't know what the pricing looks like right now. And I'm not sure there is a huge push right now to put out content that works with high brightness displays that's generic. I know there's lots of talk about that. And we had several meetings and, you know, content testing and stuff before the shutdown occurred. But I think from the pace of change is never really been driven by old equipment or the ability to maintain old equipment. I think that every theater, I mean, take the audio systems, you know, for the last five to 10 years, theaters have been making those choices using just very pragmatic and smart decision making. If it looks like it's useful for their theater, they'll spend the money for it. And I don't think that's going to change. I think that if a theater chain or a small exhibitor thinks that they can get some ROI off of a new piece of technology, a new format, or, you know, well, you see with seats as well, they'll buy it. I don't think there's going to be an issue there. And the distinction, we talked a little bit about VPF. I think the big distinction between the beginning of digital cinema and now is at the beginning, every theater needed a lot of equipment. Needed new projectors and servers and media blocks. And some people took the time to buy new sound systems. Many theaters needed adapters to play even the audio out of their servers into their existing B chain. So there was huge amounts of equipment that had to be purchased in bulk. And I think the difference now is theaters can almost go back to the way they are purchasing equipment before digital cinema. I mean, you can move things around, you can buy spot purchases on particular screens if you want to upgrade an audio system or if you want to upgrade your image system, something along those lines. So I don't think it's going to have a big effect on technology rollout, uptick of new technology, because theaters have always been smart about that and they spend the money when they think they see an ROI in that place. 
But I wanted to thank you, Mark, for joining us. Thank you very much. And Dean, thank you very much for joining us as well. Yeah, thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Now I see that Matt Majewski from Bright Star Cinema Systems has shown up. Matt, why don't you tell us a little bit about what Bright Star does while we wait for Jerry to join us? Sure. Yeah, thank you. Well, Bright Star is basically just a very small company in the Midwest with a big pool of talent where we basically service independents and other large cinema chains such as Marcus. We basically try to focus with our customers and just providing the best movie-going experience for their customers through our integration and service. Well, and Jerry, you're with Cinema Next in the UK. Can you tell us a little bit about them? Yeah, good afternoon, everybody. So we're the leading sound and projection company across Europe, delivering sound projection solutions. We're also doing outfitting, software, knock support, and developing solutions for our operators. We were just talking to Dean Bullock of CineCert and Mark Collins of Harmon, and they were telling us a little bit about how to maintain old equipment, what the change of pace of technology is going to be, as you probably saw. But you're actually on the ground installing new equipment, maintaining new equipment. What are you seeing, Matt, in regards to this? Now, you do a lot of work with, I guess, maybe Marcus Theaters in the Midwest there. What are you seeing? The big thing is, is they're slowly starting to open. Uh, They now currently have six locations open uh, across the U.S. uh, with four in kind of our territory. And basically, we're just going in and just doing quick checks, making sure that they are still working. They have been dormant for a while, like you previously discussed. And we're just checking for the simple, normal fail points that are usually occur, such as, you know, the hard drives, fans and stuff like that. And then just kind of getting an overall look, presentation quality in both visual and sound. And then once we assess that, we're basically sitting down with the customer saying, you know, these are the things that should be addressed immediately. And here are some of the things that could uh, make your presentation better, you know, such as maybe we found a few speakers that are a little bit routed out or, you know, the projector could use another once over to get it a little bit more clean. So that's kind of what we're doing. You know, we're not doing these full preventive maintenance, schedule maintenance checks. We're just kind of going in, kicking the tires to make sure these systems are still working for them when they open up. Now, Jerry, let me ask you, as Matt just mentioned, as you're doing all these kicking of the tires, what are you finding? Are you finding that equipment is failing? If so, what equipment is that? And maybe we don't need manufacturer names, but what type of equipment might it be? Or is everything kind of just fine, just uh, you're blowing the dust off the projection booth? It's a real mix. Actually, we are going back now and doing full-blown services for people as they start to reopen their doors. But we are seeing a raft of different issues, but nothing that is mission critical particularly. We've seen some power supply failures, some IMB failures, not had any audio issues yet. But broadly speaking, you know, most of the people fortunately have followed the manufacturer's guidelines and they've managed to make sure their equipment has been powered up and they've run content. You know, we've put out some advice and a number of other people have as well. And broadly speaking, people have followed that advice. So we're not seeing too many issues. We've had some lamp issues where the lamps have not fired up properly after a three or four month period. But it's interesting to see how well this equipment has held up over the last four months. Are you finding the same thing to be true, Matt? Are you seeing pretty much a stable environment when you get back into the booth? Yeah, for the most part, you know, the manufacturers and vendors provided a lot of great documentation immediately to the theaters on how to properly store this equipment during this dormant time of hibernation. The one thing, you know, you occasionally come across is just occasionally people might have taken a little too far where they power down the entire booth and therefore, you know, UPS batteries have died and stuff like that. So just a general once over, I mean, 
for those who kind of follow the directions, yeah, we're just checking the systems and replacing the parts that just have the normal wear and tear, like I said, fans and hard drives and stuff like that. It's been actually quite smooth the way this has gone. For the theaters that have their techs in regularly doing the scheduled checks prior to hand, it's really just been kind of a, a turnkey operation for getting them back up and running. Some of the theaters where technicians aren't going in as often, we've had to maybe dig a little bit deeper and find a few more problems to resolve prior to them opening or getting ready to open. I would add that we've got a knock back couple of cinemas across Europe. We've kept it running during the period, but the calls dropped to 30 a week. We were up at 700, over, over 700 calls last week. But that's not all failures. It's just getting people asking how they can get their systems up and running properly. So there was a spike last week. So that obviously reflects the amount of cinemas across Europe that are starting to reopen. That's actually a good point, that you can actually track cinema reopenings through integrators. That's something that should be looked into. I mean, uh, granted, everybody seems to be very public about when they reopen. And so I was going to ask about Knox next. So you kind of mentioned that. Matt, are you working with any network operation centers? Through Marcus, we work with DS for their Knox port. And we work hand in hand with them. We're basically the boots on the ground and they're the remote support. So that's the Knox experience that we've worked with. Otherwise, with our independence, we basically just have a one-on-one relationship for communication. Well, maybe this is where we should have begun the conversation, but I guess really we should ask, what is the role of the integrator when it comes to working with cinemas? What role does the integrator have both when it comes to either selling equipment or maintaining that equipment, Jerry? I don't want to sound bland, but we really try and be a partner with the cinema so we understand what their needs are, the technology they want to introduce, the price point that they want to achieve, the audience that they're trying to attract. And our job is to put together a a package, which is obviously the equipment and the support and so on and so forth to meet that. So some people want a premium experience with great seats and atmos sound and laser projection. And that's great at one end. But at the other end, we have the budget cinemas, maybe just a one or two screen in a small town. And they're not looking to spend that sort of money. Then you've got the boutique offerings that are offering a premium experience but it's not necessarily premium cinematic experience doing a great food and beverage offer so it's a real mix and our job is to listen to what those needs are and try and put a package together that suits those it's definitely not a one-size-fits-all solution Matt, i would ask you the same question i mean what does bright star system see as the role of the integrator i think jerry hit on a lot of big points i mean it really is what the customer is willing to do or wants to do you know, Brightstar always kind of sets out to be an advisor, if you will, or a consultant and work in the partnership to kind of see what the end goal is and then uh, fulfill the needs of that. So if it is a larger company that's doing, you know, a, a larger cinema structure, you know, obviously we're going to do more bells and whistles such as, you know, Atmos and, you know, Dream Loungers and stuff like that. But if it is the smaller independent, we're basically going to try to price out equipment for them that will help them deliver the best presentation possible for their needs. And it really coincides with, you know, the type of cinema it is, like Jerry pointed out. Well, now there's been a lot of talk about independent cinemas and what's going to happen to independent cinemas, not only here in North America, but certainly in Latin America and Europe, Asia, everywhere. Uh, Can they survive this? What are you seeing, Matt, when you're going into work with independent cinemas? Are they doing well? I mean, maybe just from the booth perspective. From the booth perspective, a lot of them are doing well. Like I said earlier, you know, for our customers that we've been working with for quite a few years now, 
we go into their theaters regularly and check systems. So just this dormant time has only kept us apart socially with talking with these customers. But we're going in and we're looking over things. One of my small independents just uh, north of Milwaukee, I visited him the other day because they're having a small issue with the server playback. And I was just kind of looking over things and testing. And as I looked through the porthole window, there's over 23 people in there already. And it's 30 minutes before the movie starts. So people are coming back and experiencing cinema. They want to get out. And these aren't new movies. They were showing a, the a live action Jungle Book from a couple of years ago. But, you know, they're coming in on an afternoon and just trying to remember how things used to be as the new normal is now and just going through the motions. Jerry, I, I would ask you the same question. You're, you're dealing a lot in the UK and in Europe. Are you dealing with independent cinema operators? And, and if so, how are they doing? I kind of echo what Matt has said to a certain extent. So the independent sector is struggling a bit more to open because they're typically small sites. You know, if you've got a, a 200-seater and you can sell I don't know, 50 or 60%, you can make a business. But if you've got 30 seats, that makes it a little bit more difficult. But there's been aid from our government to help support that. We really don't expect to see many cinemas fail through this process. That's partly because they're managing their business as well, partly because they've had a lot of support. We think they'll keep going. It was announced yesterday that the Irish cinemas are opening tomorrow. And that's going to help a lot of the, the smaller cinemas out there. But overall, I don't see people falling out of this too badly, I have to say. It's been a tough few months, but I think most people will find a way of recovering. Well, if my Facebook and LinkedIn are any indication, Graham Sperling has reopened in grand fashion his, uh, over, over there in, in Ireland. Now, when we were talking to, to Dean and Mark, we were talking a lot about some of the older equipment and the incentive to move to newer equipment and what that might look like. Jerry, when you go into these booths, what are you seeing? Dean said that some of this equipment might last 20 years. I know that in, in the past, when I was talking to Texas Instruments, and this was at least five years ago, they were saying they were shocked that the projectors were lasting over 10 years. What are you seeing when it comes to equipment? Are people going to need new equipment or even have the desire to purchase new equipment? Well, I certainly don't expect to see 20 years out of the equipment. I think that would be very, very ambitious. We're seeing a real mix. So we're seeing some cinemas taking a long-term view, upgrading to laser. There's some very good laser upgrade programs where you kind of keep your existing projector and just upgrade the light part of it. We're seeing a lot of people at the moment are going to want to sweat that asset. So, you know, if they were thinking of changing it next year, they're going to try and put that back a bit. And the kit is very reliable. If you've got problem kit, then people will try to move that out. Where you've got kit that perhaps is not producing the light that it did on install, they're tending to move those to smaller screens and just upgrade to larger screens. Again, there's a lot of different solutions, but we as a business were hoping that at the end of the VPF, people would start replacing their equipment in, in earnest. And I don't think that's going to happen in the speed that we originally expected to. No matter, are you seeing the same thing that maybe at the end of the VPF has coaxed people to upgrade their equipment? First of all, I am up for the 20-year challenge of keeping these servers uh, living that long. It really depends on the condition of the booth and the condition of the projectors. I, I've seen a lot of Series 1 projectors that look just as good and beautiful as some of the younger Series 2 that it's sitting next to. But I've also been in booths, too, that have you know a deep fryer vent going through the projection booth. And some of those need a little more regular TLC. I do think that the way the business goes with theaters, it's kind of the needs of the customer. So if equipment is just not delivering 
a proper presentation, the owner will look into presenting it. But I do think there's been a long standing history of uh, theater owners wanting to get the most that they can out of their equipment. And that's where I hopefully can help them do that. And what are you seeing when new equipment is purchased? I mean, are LED screens something you're asked about regularly now, Matt? It does come up because with the way social media is now, when a big company announces something, you know, you don't have to go to a yearly convention and find out about it. You can find out about it instantly and you can get uh, instant feedback on the quality of that equipment. So a lot of my customers who do follow these trends do ask me like, oh, what do you think about the new this, this, or this? And so we do get questions on it. I think there's been a big peak of interest in laser projection just because of the hours of quality light output you'll get. But yeah, I think they're always looking to see what the new technology is, you know, and trying to bring it into their building to get customers in the doors. Jerry, let me ask you this. We had a question about cloud technologies and moving into the cloud. Do you see any incentive to move to the cloud for integrators, whether it's bringing their customers into the cloud, or maybe not, maybe the cloud is a a non-starter for companies that are dealing with physical equipment. Well, it's an interesting question, and and it's something that we keep monitoring, and there's no doubt at some stage that's likely to happen, but it's not something we're seeing any real traction on at the moment, and there still seems to be a, a desire for cinemas to know that they've got content on their site at a particular time when they want to show it rather than trying to download it from some form of cloud. But of course, we have had a lot of success with satellite broadcasts, live and so on and so forth. So there will be a move towards some form of cloud base, but it's not going to happen overnight by any stretch of the imagination. And what about yourself, Matt? Any discussion of cloud technologies, whether it be in the booth or for content? Well, with how much technology is advanced where just a small company can have access to cloud services and stuff like that, it definitely helps us to support the smaller feeders. And so this is definitely stuff that we look into. But as far as full utilization of it, um, you know, we we need to basically make the tool before we decide what we're going to fix with it. I know we're nearing the end of our time together. I want to make sure that you guys get get a moment to really address the exhibitors who are attending. What should they be focused on? What would you want to tell exhibitors who some of them may be open, some of them may be thinking of opening, some of them may not be open for another month or two? Matt, what would you want to say to exhibitors out there about maintaining their equipment and really anything during this time period? Like I said before, having your technician come in and just uh, spend an hour or two on the screen, just going over the simple checks and coming back for presentation. Sure, you can go in and ingest a piece of content and play back and say, looks great, but there could be smaller things that a qualified technician might be able to point out and help steer you to future issues. As far as opening, we've got to basically do it right. Customers want to come back in and they are aware of the situation and are willing to, I guess, jump through the hoops to basically return to a new normal. So by us just making sure a presentation is at its best, it's one less thing for the theater owners to worry about. And more importantly, it's one less thing to detract from the actual movie going experience and basically telling the customer that going to a theater is still a unique and special experience that they're willing to continue doing and maybe, you know, cancel Netflix or something like that. Okay. And Jerry, what about yourself? Any pitfalls to avoid? Any comments you want to convey to exhibitors? I would beg exhibitors to plan ahead, please. You know, all of us integrators only have a finite amount of resource. 
and it's been a constant concern that everybody is suddenly going to announce that they're going to open on a specific day to say Irish cinemas opening tomorrow with very little notice. And I worry that we have the same. Suddenly, instead of having planned maintenance over a 12-month period, everybody wants us in by next Tuesday. So please plan ahead. Give us access time so we, you know, we can get in early, we can work late. But don't just assume you can put an audience in your room and power up the projector and all will be good because that would be the biggest disappointment. We get audiences back into a cinema and then we can't show them great content and great sound. Well, on that note, there's no better way to end Jerry from Cinemanex. I'd like to thank you, Matt Majewski from Bright Star Systems. Thank you very much for joining us. I'd also like to thank Dean Bullock from Sinistert and Mark Collins from Harmon for joining us earlier. And again, thank you to Simon, Laura, Maria, everybody at Film Grill and everybody at The Big Picture for helping us put these summits together. Again, please visit the community section, community.cjcinemasummit.com. Also, you can write to us, tips at celluloidjunkie.com. And we'll be back again next week. <laughs>